friends. Welcome to another episode of the With a Story podcast. This week's episode is my conversation with Adele Barlow. So a really timely conversation given that we're still dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and a lot of places are going back into lockdown. In this conversation, we talk about her journey from studying comms to dropping out of law school to working with Escape the City in London. And basically looking at kind of connecting the dots across the different bits of her career up until now, how joining Escape the, Escape the City kind of shaped her career. We talk about the future of work and having multifaceted careers and how having a fluid and agile career, especially in these times, can help us kind of future-proof our careers even in these uncertain times. So whether you're in a job and you're comfortable or you're thinking of moving careers, hopefully this chat can give a little bit of guidance on how to navigate these uncertain times and kind of future-proof ourselves to write out whatever comes our way. And we also talk about her writing, how she manages both writing and her work and her upcoming book, which is on a very exciting topic. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Adele. And thank you for listening. All right. So welcome to the With a Story podcast. And I'm really happy today to have with me Adele Barlow. So Adele is the head of content and communications at Makers Academy uh, based in London, as well as a writer. She's published for a number of publications and has published a number of books, as well as a number of other things which I'll, I'll let you get into and she's passionate about storytelling startups and elevating women so really a perfect fit for basically everything i'm interested in so thanks adele my pleasure you're right to have you um so just wanted to start off by having you do uh an intro of your of yourself and um yeah who who you are and what you do Cool. So yeah, I like you said, I lead comms at a coding boot camp here in London called Makers. I do that in the mornings and then in the afternoons I work on my own writing. So I recently wrote my first fiction book and I'm working now on getting that out to agents. And at the moment I'm also working on a nonfiction piece. It's longer than an essay, but not quite a full book. Um, <laughs> I guess you'd call it a novella, maybe. Um, <laughs> a but nonfiction novella. Exactly. It's really just something to do during coronavirus because I'm so sick of watching <laughs> Netflix. So yeah, yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been good though. I feel like, I mean, I'm 34 this year, so it feels like the perfect time to write about it. It's called A Modern Woman and it's basically about balancing work with, you know, life I guess I was gonna say kids but I don't have kids I'm not married so <laughs> I feel like it took a long time for me to get over that not imposter syndrome but I felt like I've been wanting to write this book for about four years now but a lot of the debates are obviously around working motherhood and for ages mm -hmm. I was just like why am I going to write a book about this stuff when I don't even have kids but at the same time I just thought you know what just because you don't have kids doesn't mean that you don't have opinions on like the work on having balance. them or not yeah, yeah exactly totally. 
So, Amazing. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, well, yeah, I'm really excited to dig into that whole process, you know, the books, the books you're writing and everything, because that's something I'm interested in someday as well. But actually, I wanted to, I wanted to take it back and start off going back further a little bit, because um, I was just reading, you know, a little bit of information about you. And you mentioned uh, that you grew up in Hong Kong, Malaysia, New Zealand and Australia. So I was just really curious what, um, I guess, yeah, what was it, um, your parents' jobs or, um, yeah, what happened that you were living in those places and moving around? Sure. So my mom is Malaysian and my dad's a Kiwi and they met in New Zealand, but then they moved to Hong Kong, which is where they had my brother and me. And I went to an international school there. That's where my accent comes from. And (laughs) then at 14, my dad decided that we needed national identity. So he took us back to New Zealand where I did high school. And then I went to Melbourne University. And then I actually went back to New Zealand to start my career. And I moved to London about 11 years ago, which is crazy. Wow. Um, 2011, I guess. Yeah. No, 2009, yeah. which is crazy. Um, 2009, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been here a while now. But basically, oh, when I, cool. I went back to New Zealand, I finished uni. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was working. What did you study? I studied media, comms, and sociology. So, literally one of the most useless degrees in terms of preparing (laughs) me for the real world of work. And the other thing about my degree is media studies in Australia is a bit different. I don't know what it's like here, but I mean, I've heard some things and I know in Australia it was really academic and Mm. at Melbourne Uni, it was all about critiquing the media establishment and all this stuff. So for me, it honestly put me off going into journalism, even though I'd been really excited to write and I've always wanted to write and I always have written, but my degree was a lot of it was about sort of media politics and basically like, yeah, lots of theories, lots of like, you know, corporate media is ruining the world and all this stuff. So it just, (laughs) it did leave me like quite confused, I think like after uni, Um, but it all kind of happened serendipitously because I caught up with a friend from high school. I was working as a receptionist at a theater charity and she was working as a web developer and really long story short, within six months of catching up, we'd entered and won the seed funding competition and then started our own social enterprise. It was this startup helping students get work experience and helping charities get websites. It's called Y Media. And we ended up running it for about, yeah, three years. Um, and then after that, I moved over to London to go to law school because even though it had been really fun, running my own startup. I was like 21 when I started doing it. So I was a (laughs) child and I just, I thought law school was going to be this answer, I suppose. I thought it was going to be like job security and a better paycheck and all this stuff. But as it turned out, like I went to maybe honestly three or four classes and then just realized that I was (laughs) not cut out for it. Yeah. I made a huge mistake. And I mean, luckily I dropped out pretty quickly. So I just, I did, I think less than a semester, but that's when I just started looking around at London startups and I didn't know anyone here. I think that was a big issue back in New Zealand. I obviously had much more of a network and I'd met Mm -hmm. a lot of people through doing my startup there. So I just had to sort of begin from scratch here and just started giving these really random startup marketing workshops and just meeting a bunch of different founders and got to know the Escape the City guys. Um, and then eventually I yeah, started working with them and a few other startups. But yeah. Amazing. Well, it sounds, yeah, it kind of sounds like 
actually that was the point so it's like you went you dropped out of law school and then that's from the point when everything else that you're kind of doing now kind of started so you started you know going to these different events meeting people and then getting involved with escape the city exactly and it's so funny because when I talk about it now this is obviously about what 12 or 13 years ago or something it sounds now like oh it all made sense I dropped out and then it just all worked out and (laughs) at the time it was so insanely scary and just a bit random I guess I just I just knew what I didn't want to do but I still didn't have a really clear idea of what I did want to do like I knew you know I didn't I really didn't feel ready or equipped to start or scale another startup Um, but I also knew I didn't want to go into not just law, but just I think professional services generally. I yeah. I know that it's kind it's of fashionable, super traditional, yeah, yeah, and just something that just seemed really um, restrictive. You know, I I don't know. I just think because I'd been so spoiled, like I it, my first job out of uni was basically like running that startup, and it was so much freedom and creativity and so much you can't learning. Go back from that. <laughs> yeah, it was this incredibly steep learning curve. That's what I I really did appreciate at the time about that and to then go into some kind of grad scheme where your job scope is, you know, so limited. So narrow, yeah. Yeah, and it's also, it's that kind of, not tick box mentality, but I think for so long in school, I had been so, not obsessed, but just, I was convinced that if you got good grades and you like ticked the boxes and everything would work out. And I had just Mm -hmm. seen from startups that it's really, (laughs) yeah, not that simple. And that's why I loved Escape the City when I first came across it, because when I first discovered it, I had just dropped out of law school and it was this incredible metaphorical lighthouse for me because I was like, oh, there are other people who are kind of confused about what they want to do. And I think I was different from a few of the members in that I'd already done my own startup and kind of came out the Mm -hmm. other end from it. But it was amazing. Like with, you know, with those guys, like I think it was the founders and one of the founders sisters. So how me. old was it yeah. when you met them? Like how, how, so it yeah, was how many? Less than two years old. So Escape, okay. when I joined, they had just crowdfunded 600K from their members. Um, but it was just, it was really like they'd started in the basement. And then when I joined them, we moved into our first office, but it very much felt like the early kind of golden days. Um, And I think any startup has that point. Like I know now I've worked in a lot of different startups now at a lot of different stages, but I am so grateful that I got to experience, I guess, that era of escape. Um, Yeah. I think that's a great, great stage because you, they're kind of a little bit established. They have a little bit of money, but they are also small enough that you can kind of do a lot of things and wear a lot of different hats and decide what you want to work on within within that structure. Definitely. And what I found so inspiring is it was just an incredibly intelligent team and community. I found the founders, you know, really inspiring. And obviously, you know, they'd been through the city and, you know, they were smart in the kind of traditional book smart way, but they also had mm-hmm. a really, really high level, I think, of emotional intelligence and also spiritual intelligence, I guess, because I think the reason why they left their city jobs is they felt like there was something more to life and they wanted to explore that. And I think it was honestly one of the best gigs I could have gotten in my early years in London because it shaped so much of my years after that. Like a lot of the people yeah. that I met and then went on to work for like I met through escape like a lot of you know the members like became friends and it yeah it just I think it shaped a lot of um my path in London I guess and how long did you end up working with them 
So I was there for the best part of three years, but that's actually how I also met Daniel at Lexu um, because mm-hmm. he came to one of our workshops. I think he actually met his co-founder, Chris, at one of the escape workshops oh, or through cool. escape. So yeah, it just, um, and even like, you know, the I work at Makers now, but I met the people who led me there like through escape as well. So yeah, even though I was yeah, only there like for three big, yeah. um, revolving door of people and the in the London community. <laughs> exactly. And so I think I was officially with them for three years, but I think for a year or two beforehand, I was like volunteering at their events, like helping them mm. where I could. And then even after I left officially, I still ran a couple of events and, you know, got involved where I could. Um, gotcha. But yeah, yeah. After Escape, I worked at Virgin briefly for a startup within Virgin. And then I worked at Lexu for a bit. And then, yeah, I've been at Makers now for just over three and a half years nice um so I just wanted to come back to escape real quickly so obviously it's kind of uh I feel like a lot of the one theme around a lot of your work is kind of um well you actually you wrote one of your books is finding fulfilling work so you know finding your purpose finding fulfilling fulfilling work and also kind of career changes and career transitions so I based on well your own your own experience but also your time at escape what what would be your kind of takeaways or tips around yeah career both career transitions career changes and also kind of figuring out which direction you want to go and if you don't know that already so I just want to put a big disclaimer I feel like all my books were written pre-corona like it feels incredibly (laughs) (laughs) arrogant and kind of short-sighted like I look at all my my book titles now and just cringe because it was I think very much written for a pre-pandemic time Um, (laughs) pre-2020 exactly exactly but I think when it comes to finding fulfilling work what I experienced was I think there's a big not mismatch, but I just felt like what I found frustrating is that I was speaking to people like my parents and teachers who were from a different generation where Mm. the contract of what work was plus the actual act of finding work was a lot simpler. I think with our generation, Mm. there has been globalization of the labor market. There's also been a lot of technological advances. And we're also now living in this era where the future of work is insanely unpredictable. And I don't think in 10 or 20 years, being a lawyer or banker is going to have the same meaning that it had for our parents' generation. I think being a software developer or a data scientist, like those things I think are going to be the next, you know, lawyer banker equivalent. So I think for me, at least what I saw working at Escape is some members would come back to event after event, year after year, and not make any progress. And I really noticed that the ones who did make progress were the ones who had some kind of coach or accountability buddy, or you know they'd quit and found a co-founder. They had someone else to keep them accountable so they weren't going through the process alone because it can be a really, really lonely process. But the reason why I wrote the book is because I was finding that because I worked at Escape, I kept getting approached by friends whose sibling was graduating from university and they wanted to have a coffee or someone whose, I don't know, husband wanted to change roles, but they just wanted someone to speak to. And I would obviously pass on the names of different career coaches I knew, but I also had so many ideas about what what work is and how we can, you know, find work that works for us. And that's why I wrote that book. Um, 
I, the basic premise of it is that you can take a lean startup approach to your career. So mm-hmm. just because can you expand on that. Sure. So it's the idea. I think I came up with a really cringe acronym as well. I think it was <laughs> it was like take a lean approach. L E A N. So it was like I think it was learn, experiment, action, and network. So learn is the idea that there are so many resources out there now. So whatever you want to study, there's probably a Udemy or a Udacity course about it. So it's to take advantage of those resources, as well as just speaking to people in your network, you know, learning as much as you can about the area you think you want to go into. And then experimenting is the idea that you can do little side projects, you can do volunteer things, you don't have to go and find a full-time position in your dream sector, you can just take it bit by bit, you know, you know, chew off things in bite-sized pieces here and there. And then the achieve idea was that you have to set yourself, I think, objectives. So it comes from a coaching perspective where I feel like it's what I'm doing at the moment with my books. Like, okay, I don't know when I'm going to find an agent or when a publisher is going to pick up my books, but I know that, you know, every year or six months, I can promise myself that I am going to get out X piece or I'm going to try and find like this Mm. kind of independent editor. So it's just setting yourself, I think, those little goals so that you feel like you're making progress. Um, And also, I guess, to feel like you have a bit more control over the situation. And then the end part is for network, just because I feel like people often underestimate how important it is to meet relevant people in whatever it is they want to go into. I think what I saw at Escape is people put all this pressure on themselves to know the answer and they think they need to just learn everything they want to learn about that given area. Whereas, you know, if you actually speak to someone who works in that area, you're just going to learn so much more that way. And often it's someone completely random. Like it could be, I don't know, your neighbor's cousin or like your sister's husband. (laughs) It's just, it's so random where, you know, where you might meet that person. But I think it's such an important element of just, I guess, getting out of your head and more, you know, into or closer to the world that you're thinking you want to go into. Because what I did see at Escape was obviously there were a lot of corporate people who wanted to go into startups or go into charity. But then I would also meet people who actually worked in charities or worked in startups and they wanted something a bit I don't know, more well-paid or, so it's just, it was so interesting to me because it just, perfect. (laughs) it just seemed to, yeah, seemed to be this problem that happened exactly across industries. Um, So it's, yeah, there were so many different types of people, but I, I definitely noticed a few trends and that's what I tried to capture in that book. Yeah, no, that's really great. And um, that makes really, I mean, yeah, that all of those, those four elements make a lot of sense. And then I'm curious, did you, did you already kind of know, it sounds like you kind of already knew which areas you were interested in, but I, I find a lot of people might have gone into a career and then they actually don't, they have no idea about some. they want to do something else, but they don't know. I know I have specific ways that I've kind of used to figure out, you know, what direction I might want to go in. Did you, did you do anything specifically based on, you know, like things you were interested in childhood or something you studied? in school that kind of influenced the direction you decided to go in? Yeah, I think from Escape, I just learned to pay attention to when I was interested in something. So it's not like I dropped out of law school and said, I want to go work in comms for a progressive, you know, scale up. I, I definitely did not plan that far ahead. I just knew that I really enjoyed startups compared to law school. So like I said, I just went and hung out with a bunch of startup founders and, (laughs) you know, tried to 
I guess like add value where I could because I'd learned a lot about marketing from my own startup. So then I gave these little workshops. And again, like I think that's what I think is important, like doing these little projects because you never know where they could lead. And then obviously, yeah, they led to marketing roles within a startup. But at the same time, I paid attention to all the different aspects of marketing. So even within marketing, there's SEO, there's content, there's PR, you know, there are so many different aspects you can go into. And again, I just, I guess, learned to pay attention. I was really interested in content and community. Um, and I just ended up, I guess, doing more and more of that and then tried to find roles where I could follow that. And yeah, now that's what I do. But a lot of early stage founders uh, yes. are really lonely. So I feel like if, you know, say you want to go into events for, I don't know, secondary school teachers, that's really random, but say you wanted to help a specific segment, I guarantee there's probably some kind of meetup group or, you know, volunteer association or something. And there's probably someone trying to do something in that space as an early stage founder. And I feel like they're often so under-resourced that you can kind of design your own projects. And yeah, I just, I think, I mean, that's a bad example, but there's definitely Mm -hmm. examples where I think you can volunteer and just start getting to know people, um, getting to know the space and then figuring out whether you actually want to go. And that's how I got my startup job. I I actually went to law school and finished. (laughs) And then uh, when I moved to London, I wanted to work for startups. So I actually reached out. Um, to Lexu and I actually interned for a couple months at first and then I got hired on so yeah basically that the same the same approach you know kind of when you're when you're transitioning I think that's the other thing um, when you're transitioning you kind of have to be okay with stepping down you know you have to realize that you're starting from scratch so you're gonna have to be yeah and then you have to work your way up from there Um, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned the future of work I'm curious what you think yeah, what what do you think the future of work looks like? Well, especially now post COVID. <laughs> That's the thing, you know, like I am finding it difficult even to see past the next year, I guess, in terms of how it's just so unpredictable. Yeah. And, you know, I'm seeing like entire businesses just, you know, head off the cliff and other businesses that are really struggling. I and then I wonder about the future of big tech as well you know like I wonder if Facebook's going to get broken up I just think all of it seems incredibly unpredictable but one thing I do know for certain is I think we're always going to need really high quality software developers and that's not just plugging makers because (laughs) I work there I mean I work there because I believe I believe in the mission you know and what makers does is they it's very similar to escape the city but instead of helping people to escape into you know, startups or overseas travel, whatever. It's helping people who know they want to become a software developer and then putting them through this pretty intense but good 16-week program and then helping them find their first job afterwards. And I think what I've enjoyed about it is it's really redefined what I see as a software developer. I I had the kind of cliche in my head, I guess, of what a software developer was. And having met the people who've come through Makers, you know, a lot of them are women. A lot Mm of them are, you know, incredibly emotionally intelligent and have, you know, really great, I think, like collaborative and communication skills. And yeah, I I think no matter what the future of work looks like, I feel like tech is obviously going to be a big part of it. Knowing how to not just code, but also communicate and collaborate, I think, 
that's going to be a big yeah. part of it. And I think it's actually going to be incredibly important to have entrepreneurial skills within yourself. So I feel like I was never really told about the portfolio career when I was in school, but that's exactly what I have. And my parents, I think, don't even seem to really like get it (laughs) when I tried to explain it to them. But I think I'm much more future proof than if I had, I don't know, stayed in law school and then become a lawyer. Like I, I just feel like more and more people our age are going to have to have maybe like a side gig and then something else and then their regular gig. But I think we were already going in a pretty uncertain direction. And I think coronavirus has just made it a thousand times more uncertain. And you just can't rely on, I think, having a narrow fixed view of how you add value. Mm. I think everyone's going to have to become a bit of a shapeshifter. Yeah. Um, It's all about having multiple strings to your bow, isn't it? Definitely. And also just being able to adapt and Mm being able to, you know, be agile and also just being able to be a team player. Like when I think about the best people I've worked with over the years, yes, a lot of them are super smart, but the ones who are, you know, just outstanding are the ones who could adapt and they were super supportive and they were great leaders and it wasn't about their job title. It was just about them being really positive, really able to just roll with it if things change. And it's a trait I often establish I mean it's a trait I often attribute to people in startups but it actually applies to anyone and I have friends who work in the corporate sector who have the same traits just that emotional just intelligence good team players yeah. yeah and also just that positivity and just you know people who I guess can just be flexible and adaptable yeah yeah so yeah so speaking of side gigs obviously writing is a big part of um yeah what you do and who you are you've written you write a blog, you've written articles, you've written a few mm. books. Um, so I'm specifically interested in um, The Almost Girlfriend and then the book you mentioned mm. in the beginning, The Modern Woman. So you're kind of addressing all these, uh, I think in a recent blog post, you mentioned you know, all these questions we start to ask ourselves from like 30, mm. throughout the 30s, basically, that kind of are setting ourselves up for the next phase of life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm curious to dig into both writing, um, how you maintain that that writing habit, especially with a full time job. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, just what you're what uh, what you're currently working on. Cool. Yeah. So I am really lucky in that Makers is actually a part time job. So I only right. do it in the mornings and I get to write in the afternoons. And Amazing. I'm really grateful <laughs> for that because that's the first time I've ever been able to do that. Um, But yeah, so The Almost Girlfriend came about, I really wanted to try writing fiction. And I was single for seven years, basically, from when I was 25 to when I was 32. Um, I always remember that because I broke up with my ex-boyfriend around my 25th birthday, (laughs) and I got together with my current boyfriend around my 32nd birthday. But I... Yeah, I spent seven years on this, you know, emotional and psychological roller coaster that is London dating. And I just had so many conversations with girlfriends about it and with guy friends, actually. And I just wanted to, you know, write something like fiction wise. And I also wanted to, I guess, explore the area because I do think this whole period of dating in your late 20s and early 30s on the apps is something that I think is quite unique the millennial generation I think it used to be so much simpler you know and especially if you're a woman like you used to just I think you got married you were maybe a nurse or a teacher and then you just not followed your husband but your life just seemed a lot more predictable whereas 
in London at least, a lot of my other friends, you know, they're expats. They're not, they didn't grow up here. So a lot of them are sort of here for their careers and they're doing their own thing and they're getting married later. And I think we all just found dating so um, weird (laughs) and fascinating and also slightly traumatic. And it was just really interesting kind of putting all those ideas into this fiction book. Um, And also like I'd written these nonfiction books, but like honestly no one buys them I make oh, really? like 10 pounds a month like on Amazon so I just wanted to try something different anyway yeah. and the thing with fiction that I kind of liked is there it seemed to be way more of like a craft around it I could you know I mm-hmm. did some courses and I learned about you know plotting a story grid and characterization and that was like an interesting learning for me as well just as a writer like trying a whole new different genre I guess um but yeah the the basic premise of the almost girlfriend is there is this Uh, she's a renewable energy you know finance consultant Alyssa and she's from New York but she's having a hard time dating and then she comes to London and she meets this guy Billy and they fall into what I saw a lot of when I was single it was like a pseudo relationship where you're not quite together but you're not not together Um, you're almost like half going out And it's just her journey through that. And, you know, it's the situation that I think I found myself in several times, like over the years. And I think it's really difficult as well, because I think unless you've been single in your late 20s or early 30s, it's I think I always found it difficult to almost talk about with my married friends or friends who had never experienced it, because I think there was this perception that dating was this really fun thing. And like, why are you complaining about being single when you have all this freedom? And I actually just, yeah, I mean, I did enjoy a lot of aspects of being single, but I just, I personally found dating like quite difficult at times and it was just cathartic to, to write it. I mean, it was a bit difficult towards the end because I've been with my current boyfriend for two years. So I I feel like I sort of lost my, not edge, but I really had to dig deep into some old journal entries to remember (laughs) like how I used to think. But But it was almost like, it sounds like it was a bit therapeutic. Definitely. And I mean, like what happened is I, I wrote the first draft. I tried to get some feedback from friends, but I feel like it's quite difficult to ask your friends to read like a 75 page yeah. Word document. So I decided to just get it printed physically. So I ordered like a hundred copies. Um, I designed it up and actually got physical books printed, but only a hundred. So it was, you know, just for friends to like, and some of their friends to give me some feedback. And so I released it actually through Eventbrite at the start of this year, did this online book launch, um, and then tried sending it out to agents. And it actually got rejected by all five agents that I sent oh, it no. to. So what I'm doing now, yeah, I'm editing it. And then once I finish the edited version, then I'm going to send that out to five different agents and hope that it gets picked up there. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, yeah. and you said you're looking for someone for the modern woman. So we we don't we we don't have a, a date when we can we can buy it yet. No, no, modern woman. I'm still just drafting. Okay. Like I um, haven't figured out how to release it yet. I originally when I started writing it, I thought it was just going to be like an online essay and I probably will just end up self-publishing it on Amazon Kindle um, just because it's not something that I want to spend like a ton of time over. Mm-hmm. I almost see it as like a little taster, I guess, because there's a lot that I want to write about women at work. And I found even in the research phase for it now, like I keep having to cut entire mm-hmm. sections because they just go to like 
they just go too like off off the main topic so there's definitely like other books I want to write and have written about this stuff I just haven't released a lot of them because like I said like I do get a bit of not imposter syndrome but I did feel a bit weird writing a lot about like women and kids and work when you know I'm like not even married don't even have kids (laughs) so it just took me a while to get over that in Mm. my head um but it's been a lot of fun to write um, and also very cathartic because like you said, a lot of it's just about these questions that I think women face in their, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I said 30 to 38 on the blurb, but then some friends were like, why are you so specific about the ages? And I was like, I just mean it as like a phase or a season. And it's those questions around. Yeah. Like, do I get married? Do I not care about marriage? Do I have kids? Do I even want kids? Do I continue on with my career? Is that the most important thing for me? Like, just all these questions, you know, I'm sure you've you like wondered that I, everyone I know, like our age has sort of thought about these oh, yeah, things. Completely. Um, so yeah. I'll definitely be interested in, in reading it. <laughs> um, amazing. Well, thanks so much, Adele. Uh, where can everyone find you on the internet? So my website is usually the best spot. That's adelebarlow.com. And then my blog is adelebarlow.co.uk. Amazing. Well, well, uh, I'll Great. check it out. And yeah, thanks again for, for coming on. It was nice chatting with you. And um, so much. Yeah, talk to you again soon. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into this episode. Thank you, Adele, for this conversation. You can check out Adele on her website at adelebarlow.com, her writing on her blog at adelebarlow.co.uk, and you connect with her on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Find those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find this podcast on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Would love it if you would subscribe and tune in for another episode next week. Have a great one. Bye-bye.